Good morning. Okay, so I feel like, you know, as I start, you all need to know a little bit about me because it definitely um, shifts the way that I do things. So I'm a marriage and family therapist, and I'm two classes and a whole dissertation away from finishing my PhD. So, <laughs> so hopefully this time next year. Um, but I, I'm, I'm an educator. I spent a lot of years working in a seminary teaching. So that definitely is kind of how I go. So it's not going to be school. It's not going to be class. But I'm definitely an educator. So my notes are kind of that. My PowerPoint is definitely that way. I like having a visual. Um, can you all see? If I move over, that might be easy, easier, right? Is that better? Because you don't, you don't need to see this. This is more important. Um, so we're going to talk about holiness and mental health. And what's, what the CDC says, and I think this is important, so mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. And it also helps determine how we handle stress, how we relate to others, make healthy choices. Mental health is important in every stage of life, from childhood through adolescence and adulthood. So it's important, right? It impacts us across the way. Um, and it just makes sense to me that mental health is linked with spiritual health. It's, it's, we, we, don't, we can't separate ourselves. And research shows that spiritual well-being decreases anxiety, dysfunction, depression, and promotes mental health. So really taking care of our, our mental health as well as our spiritual health is really, it needs to be a priority. And I know I don't have to say this to you all, but in our post-pandemic world, this is a really hot topic. Um, we all dealt with a lot during COVID, the impacts of, of social distancing, not being with people. Churches dealt with that. Um, how do we, you know, going back to church is hard for a lot of people. There's a lot that came up. Um, economic recession, social inequalities, that all came out during the pandemic too, right? Those are the things that we are now dealing with in our society. And then again, when we take care of our mental health, it's a critical part of our overall health. We, we function physically better, which again helps us in, in spiritual ways. So I think that what we need to do to care for ourselves is, and if you can shift to the next one, is to do these three things, rest, feel, and connect. And I'm going to give you tools, and I'm going to like push you a little bit as well in this time to kind of process through some of this stuff. Um, and this is what we're, we're basically going to be talking about today. So we're going to start with rest. And I think it's really important to understand that Jesus gave us some really great examples. Um, Matthew 14.23 says, After he sent them away, he went up on, up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. And then Luke 5.15-16, But the news about Jesus spread even more, so crowds of people came to hear him. They also came to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often went away to be by himself and pray. And then Mark 1, 32, 36, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were sick. It was very early in the morning and still dark. And Jesus got up and left the house, and he went to a place where he could be alone, and there he prayed. So rest seems pretty obvious, right? It's good for us. We should do it. But there's so many demands on us that oftentimes we don't. And I think that culturally, we think we have to be busy. 
And we have to be doing, and I think particularly women, we feel like this, right? We have to be, to be doing stuff. Um, but I think that, you know, when we talk about rest, we all know it's good for us, but we oftentimes don't do it, right? But I don't know about you guys, but I know if I am not rested, my emotions get really out of whack. I'm a lot more irritable. I'm a lot more snippy with people. So being able to rest really is a part of what we need to do to take care of ourselves. Now, I think that there are different ways that we rest. And I think oftentimes we just think of rest as I need to take a nap. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's different kinds of rest. Physical rest is the first one, right? This is maybe a nap, maybe leaving, maybe leaving things undone. Um, we know that our brains need to turn off. And this is what happens when we get that physical rest. We process through the day's events. That's what our dreams are. Our dreams are like these fleeting thoughts that we have that our brains are then like, let me process through what happened. That's why we dream. Because we, it's kind of like that offloading, if we think of it that way. Um, when we don't get enough rest, we have decreased ability to cope, increased errors, tension, anger, just overall poor functioning. Um, we also need emotional rest. So separating ourselves from difficult situations, you know, not having to deal with everything at that point. Um, again, you're gonna, <laughs> if you're emotionally drained, you're going to be more irritable. You're going to snap more quickly. Um, we need mental rest where we stop forcing our brains to work hard, where we're just able to kind of um, give it a rest and, and take, take some time away. Socially, how many of you have FOMO? And I mean, I, I'm like, that's my, my thing. I want to be with the people. So sometimes we have to set aside time to be away, right? The sensory input on our brains becomes too much. And so we have to, you know, put that fear of missing out aside, and we've got to go and, and do what we need to do. Sensory is the same thing. That brain stuff coming in all the time. We need to turn it out so we don't have all of that coming in at us. And then spiritually, you know, we need a Sabbath. And I think that culturally that's something we don't do well. You know, we, we are busy all the time. And, and it's commanded. You know, we need that. We need to, to celebrate with God in that, in that quiet and have gratitude. And it's hard to have gratitude if we're busy and going all the time. So to have good mental health, we need to rest. We also need to feel. So some of you are really good at feeling some of you, not so much. So it's not quite, you know, where, what your jam is. Um, but I love this next quote from Ray Anderson. And it says, humans created in the image of God relate to each other and to God through pathos, emotion, which is the root of true knowledge and the source of intention and action. The worst condition of the soul was apathy, having no feeling or passion with regard to God and others. Right? Like that's how we connect to God is through our emotions. And we don't often think of it that way. We don't think of it. We like to kind of control it, shut it, shut it aside sometimes, right? But really, yeah, there's a, there's a lot in that. So I think we come by this naturally. And I think, um, you know, when we look at the church and emotions, the church has not really done a good job with emotions, <laughs> Um, and when I started researching some of this stuff, 
One of the things that I thought was really interesting was there was gaps in historical literature about emotions in church, right? There wasn't a lot of teaching about emotions. Um, and I, I think that was because the thought was that this was emotions were of the old self. And when we become believers, we set that all aside. We don't need to feel anymore. And that could not be more wrong because if we believe that God created us, he created us as emotional beings, right? He created that in us. And Jesus had a lot of emotions. Right? We see that. He, he gives us examples, and he was perfect, perfectly God and also man. So if, if Jesus expressed emotions and felt emotions, then surely we should be allowed to do the same, right? Um, so the Hebrews believed that we really related to God and each other through emotion and feeling. And if we believe that we're emotional creatures, then this is part of, of being created in God's image. Um, emotions are morally neutral. And I think this is really important to say because I think we often will label emotions as good or bad, right? Anger, bad. Um, love, good. Sadness, bad. Whatever else, right? We kind of like separate it. And really, they're morally neutral. There is no good or bad in emotion. It's what we do with those emotions that impact us, right? So... And that, it's what we do that leads us to sin. If we lead into those more dark or negative emotions, those could lead us to sin. But just feeling jealous or depressed or grief or whatever else that are the negative ones we like to avoid, that's not sin. That's just being human, right? Created in the image of God. So I want you all to, um, to think about your feet right now. How do your feet feel? Are they hot? Are your shoes comfortable? Are your feet cold? You could all probably tell me how your feet feel right now, right? <laughs> They're cold. Okay. <laughs> but so you all know now because I've said, hey, focus on your feet. But two minutes ago, you wouldn't have been able to tell me how your feet felt, right? Because you weren't focused on it. And I think it's one of the really cool things that, like, God's designed in us, that we, we can focus on one thing and we can shut out a lot of other things, right? But if we do that with our emotions, that's where it becomes problematic. So we can focus on our emotions and deal with them, or we can focus on something else and deny them and not deal with them. Um, yeah. So... I like to think of our emotions, and I think of all of us as having, like, this emotional jar inside of us, right? And depending on how we were raised and what we've learned in life is how we kind of feel about this emotional jar. So some people have a really big emotional jar, whereas others have small ones. Um, and some people will have, like, lids with maybe holes in it where the emotions are, like, freely coming out and can be expressed. Or maybe you have, a, a, like, a screw-on lid so you take the, the emotions out, you can look at them, but then you put them back in, screw the lid on. Some of you have, like, it dead bolted down and, like, locked in and, like, you're not letting anything out. Which is good until that emotional jar starts to overflow, right? And then it's like, everything comes out. So when we understand emotions, 
We think that, that if we deny them, if we don't think about it, if we push it all down, they'll just go away. But they don't. Isn't that annoying? <laughs> like, it just would be so nice if it just... <laughs> so, you know, when we, when we look at, like, understanding what our emotions are, and, and let me just say, I think it's much more healthy to have maybe a hole in it. Because we can't express all of our emotions all the time. That's not appropriate either, right? We're not five. <laughs> right? That's what we're teaching kids. You can't feel all the time. But to, to be able to say, like, oh, look, this is, I don't like this. This makes me really sad. There's something really whole and healthy about that. And emotions can only, cannot be controlled by leaving them outside of our focus. Right? If we're shutting the jar and deadbolting it down, we have no control over what happens with that. But if we're able to look at it, if we're able to take stuff out, then we can control how we respond to people. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Henry Cloud, if you haven't read Henry Cloud, you should. Um, Boundaries, excellent book. Um, Henry Cloud says, living in the present will make your stress go down and your happiness go up. Even if the present is sad, to embrace those feelings is part of having them pass. Feelings that we avoid get stuck in our system and return until we face them. So whether in good times or bad, the lesson is to be in time. Be there in the now. And I love that because it's true. We need to know what we feel. There's a, there's a very um, beneficial part of that. Now, I think some of that means that we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. To be in the here and now, we have to be vulnerable. Um, and that might be scary for some of you. Uh, so I went to this training with a bunch of therapists and pastors. And I remember sitting in this training, and the, the woman gets up that was leading us, and she says, okay, so this is the point now where you're all going to tell everybody what your deepest pain is, and you're going to let them know. And I was like, hmm. Yeah, no. <laughs> and my husband had come with me to the training because they're like, well, if your spouses can come, you should bring them. So I, I said to, to my husband, Duncan, I'm like, mm, I don't think that's going to happen because I was not willing to do that. I was not willing. And then so, again, in this whole group of people, I'm like, um, excuse me. <laughs> so I'm like, you tell everybody what your deep pain is? And she was like, oh, yeah. They all know I'm controlling. They know that. I was like, okay, I don't know that world. Um, but what I will say is that God has worked in my life, and I'm a lot better at being vulnerable. And, you know, the stuff I'm going to share with you today will be pretty vulnerable, but I've taught it over and over again, and now I'm like, mm, it's not a thing, right? And that, that when we can be vulnerable, it actually allows people to love us. It allows us to have some healing. And so, um, oh, and you also need to understand this. Vulnerability sounds scary and dark and hard, right? We don't want to do it. But actually, without vulnerability, there is no love, connection, empathy, belonging, all of these really good things that we all want in our life, right? We all want to feel like we belong. Without being vulnerable, you can't feel like you belong. You just can't. Um, so I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to be a little bit vulnerable today, too. So don't be scared. It's going to be okay. Don't panic yet. Don't panic yet. But, but I think the other thing is, like, kind of talking again about emotions, right? One of the things that we do with our emotions is to have self-regulation. 
And, uh, and we can't have that without being vulnerable. So Ephesians 4, 21 to 24. Since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So when we manage our behavior and emotions, we can understand how to do that, right? How to put off the old self and put on the new. Because it's really easy to say that, oh, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. I want to put off the old self. Okay, how do we do that? Right? I never could figure it out. Um, and let me just say, too, this is, not, this is not my invention. This material that I'm sharing with you is called restoration therapy, and it's all based on this scripture. So, um, yeah, I just want to give, give, give due where it's due. So I think along with this scripture, it's really important that we just say, that we also say, you know, that later on Paul talks about um, putting off the old self. So he says... He who is stealing should not steal any longer, right? That's what the scripture goes on to say. But I think it's equally fair to say that she who yells must yell no longer, right? She who lies must lie no longer. We have to really, like, going and changing the things. She who's bitter must be bitter no longer, right? And so living in Christ is living in new behavior. We can not go back to the old ways because the newness of Christ is new behaviors in us. And again, easy to say, harder to do. But I think hopefully what you'll come out of here is understanding why you act the way you do. Um, and I will just say this, this material was just so huge for me because it gave me words to understand what I was feeling. So if we go to the next slide, when we look at the pain in our life, um, pain Pain comes from other ways, right, from different parts of our life. And I, and I will say again, this is how we start to understand self-regulation. So when people feel emotional pain, they respond in one of these four different ways. So you're probably looking at this going, oh, yeah, that might be me. Um, so the first one is, and these are fight-or-flight responses. And I know you all know what fight-or-flight is, and I explain that to you. But these are the fight-or-flight responses, and when we are... In conflict, when things are hard, we respond in one of these four different ways. So the first one is blame. Um, and these people believe that it's someone else's fault. Pain responses cause them to accuse somebody else. Um, the next one is escape. And these people are the ones who just want to get away from things. They want to, um, so these are the people who may struggle with addictions. Um, or they might just be like, okay, whatever, I'm out, right? It doesn't even have to look as, as big as like being addicted, but maybe you just like put up walls and shut everyone out. That's still the same thing. That's an escape. Controlling. These are the people who will tell everybody around them what to do, and they feel like they're the only one who has the, the right answers. And then, what did I skip? Blame, shame, shame, shame. These people believe that it's all their fault. Right? If I would have just done things differently, then this wouldn't have happened. If I could have handled it differently, then it wouldn't be this way. And these pain responses come from different sources. All of these, all of these come from our childhood. So these are not things that we're in adulthood going, okay, let me figure out how to do this. No, these are patterns 
that are in us from childhood. So we've learned all along the way how to deal with this. This is what we do. Um, and what happens, and I think this is a really interesting thing, is the majority of us, it comes from our family of origin. Not everyone has that. It could be a message that you learned from a, a significant adult. I had one man um, who didn't believe that he could, that he was very smart or he could do anything because in kindergarten he was held back and nobody talked to him about it. So he just thought he was stupid his whole life until I had therapy with him in seminary and he did tell me it was okay to talk to tell, <laughs> tell this, but I did therapy with him and he was like, you know, we kind of figured that out. So it was this long-standing pattern that infected, uh, in, impacted his whole life. He didn't even understand it. So it can be either through, oh, and let me just say too, when we have these things, these don't actually necessarily need to be things that people told us. These might not be things that people believed about us. It's just what we think they think about us, right? So it can be from family of origin, whatever your view of what your family thought of you, it could be from a significant adult, a teacher, a pastor, a youth leader. Um, or the last thing is through um, things about your culture or your group, right? So if, if music is really prized in your family or your church or whatever and you're not musical, then you might get messages. If you're too short, too fat, too whatever, right? There's always something that we're too much of. Too much, if you were too much, right, then that's a message that you get. And that's where these pain responses come from, is the feelings of, of what we think people think about us. So I want you to look now. There's a whole list. And I know, I want you to think, if this is hard for you, think of the last time that you had a conflict. Okay? So something that, some conflict that came up, what is the, the word that resonates the most for you? And um, I want you to like to really, and there might be more than one. There might be multiple words that, that resonate for you. Um, and, and we all know this feeling, right? Like you ju it's like that sick kind of feeling in the pit of your stomach where you just kind of feel it. So I want you to think about that, okay? And if you have a phone, write them down. Or a paper, paper if you've got paper. <laughs> you know, but I really want you to kind of, because I'm going to ask you some questions in a minute. Um, yes. All right. Is that better? Okay. <laughs> I'll just get out of the way. Let me just get out of the way as much as possible. Let me get my water, though. Okay. Okay, so did everybody kind of get their words down? You got some ideas? Okay. So the next one, then, is going to be how we respond to those painful situations in our lives, right? We all have a way that we respond, how we cope with the pain, because we can't just have those feelings there. We then have to deal with it, right? So how do we cope with it? And again, I want you to write down your words, make note of them, somehow do something so you remember, okay? Now, here's the point of vulnerability for me. The next slide. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry, you're not ready. Sorry, thank you. I appreciate you guys telling me. Okay, yeah, it's a long list, I forget. I forget it's long. 
<laughs> there is a, a an addictions thing in there. Where is that? Oh, yeah, it should be used drugs, drink, food. We could add that in. But actually, let's be real. It can be anything, right? We can use anything to avoid the emotions to deal with our pain. <laughs> yep. I know, it's hard. It's hard not having it all written down. <laughs> I know. You know, I will tell you, this was a real struggle for me to not to put them all on one slide and not have it be bigger. I was like, how do I do this? This was the way to do it the biggest. Okay. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on to the next thing, right, and just be a little bit vulnerable with you because I think it's important for you to understand how this works. So my pain is not measuring up, feeling unloved and disconnected. So anytime I'm in conflict, anytime things are hard, that's, the, that's my go-to emotions. I feel like I'm not good enough. I know exactly where that comes from. It is too short of a seminar to go into that right now. So, so, but let me just say, I know where it comes from. I can tell you what instances cause me to feel this, to believe this, right? So I believe that I'm not good enough. So my response when I'm in my pain is to blame others, be defensive, controlling, perfectionistic, I'm a, I'm a blast, right? Don't you want to be my friend? <laughs> uh, so then I want you to look at the next arrow where there's a question mark. How do you think people respond to me when I'm in my pain and I'm blaming them and I'm being defensive and controlling and perfectionistic? How do you think people respond to me? Anger? Frustration? What else? defensive, disinterested. Okay, so how does that make me then feel? Like I'm not good enough, like I'm unloved, that I'm disconnected, right? It's a cycle. Our pain goes in cycles. And this is the really fascinating thing. In the research that was done with this, they found that couples, we, we fit together. So when I'm in my pain cycle and I'm coping with my pain by being this way, I'll trigger my husband's pain cycle, and then he does that his stuff to cope with it, and that just triggers me. Right? So it's always this way. There's hope. There's hope. We'll get there. Okay. So now comes the point of vulnerability. If you guys feel comfortable enough, what I would like you to do is to share it with somebody next to you or around you. I want you to look at the list that you made, and I, we can go back, right, to the other slides. But I want you to, to kind of think about, like, how do you normally respond to people? So how do I normally feel? How do I normally respond? And then share it with somebody next to you or around you. Go ahead. It's scary. It'll be okay. I promise. <laughs> oh, you need to hope. Oh, you need the hope. I'll, I'll tell you later. I'll tell
All right. Okay. All right, I know that if I, if I leave you guys to talk, you'll just keep talking. And I only have another like 20 minutes and I got a lot more to get through, so. <laughs> I know, there's a clock there, there's a clock there. Okay, so we're gonna move on because I really wanna tell you the hopeful part of this. Because there is hope in this. We don't have to stay in our pain cycles. We can move out of our pain cycles. So now we're gonna look at the next thing, which is the truths about me. Now, let me just say that for some of you, the pain emotions were really easy to identify. You were like, yep, I know what this is. For others of you, maybe not so much. But usually what my experience has been is that people identify the pain emotions much quicker than they identify the truth about who they are. So what this part is, is understanding that there are things that are absolutely true about us. And I think one of the, the most hopeful things is that in Jesus, well, even if we're not believers, we know that we're loved by God. And I was, I was you know, I, I was raised in a Christian family. My parents were pastors. I honestly believe that up until about 10 years ago, I'm in my 50s, so 40 years of living a Christian life, I did not fully in the depths of my soul understand how loved I was by God. I always felt because of my pain cycle that I had to perform, right? That I had to be good enough. And if I could do something to be good enough, then God would love me. And now I understand that I am loved. I am loved by God. But you know what? God is so gracious that he's also given me people in my life who love me. My husband is phenomenal. You know, he's a great dad, but... But he also loves me, and he shows me in little ways how much he loves me. He makes me tea every night before we, when we go to bed. Before we go to bed, we always have tea together. He's British, so it kind of, you know, goes with it. But, but he doesn't have to do it. And my friend is here staying with us, and he makes her tea too. So he's just, he just shows his love in that way, right? And, and, and so I can hold on to that, that, you know what, I am loved. Um, because my, my pain is not being good enough, I can say, no, you know what, I know I'm adequate. I know I'm enough. I can function. I can, you know, do stuff. But it's easy for me not to be in that place. So I feel like I need to give you a, a story of my pain cycle. So um, I, was, I, I, I used to teach at a, at a seminary, and I was on my way to go teach a class, and I was running late that day. I live in Long Beach, and I had to go across the, the bridge into San Pedro, and they had closed it down. They were rebuilding the bridge. And so then they had, you had to go different ways to get there. And so I called my husband. I was running late, and I was a little bit panicky. And I said to him, okay, what do I do? Do I, do I go, do I follow the signs, or should I go on this other road? And he goes, no, you'll be fine. Just follow the signs. It'll be fine. So I start driving. I get lost. I start panicking. I call my husband and I go, I knew I shouldn't have listened to you. <laughs> now what am I going to do? I'm going to be late for class and who's going to tell the students not to leave? And oh my goodness. And then I hung up on him. Didn't even let him talk. Like he literally said nothing but hello. <laughs> hung up on him, drove a little bit more, got to the place where I was like, okay, I'm good. I know I'm going to be there. I'm, I might be a few minutes late, but it'll be fine. And then it's like, whew, it all hit me. That was totally my pain cycle. 
And the thoughts that I didn't even know I was telling myself is, you're not good enough to teach a class. Who do you think you are? You have no business teaching. You can't even get to class on time. <laughs> Which is wrong. That's not true. Right? I know this now. I'm adequate. I can do this stuff. Right? And, and it's okay. So then the next thing is, so the truth about you, I want you to look at this list, and then I'll get to the next thing. I want to give you time. Hopefully you've been looking as I've been talking. What are the truths that you know? And, and if you're having trouble identifying the truth, I want you to look back at your, um, your pain and look at what the opposite of that would be. Because that's the truth, right? And a lot of times it's hard for us to identify the truth. But really, we are these things. Okay, so the next, the next slide is how we can choose to respond. So when I'm living in my truth, that I'm loved, that I'm connected, that I'm accepted, then I can choose to make different choices, right? I can choose to respond in different ways. So these are the conscious decisions we make to not respond to the pain, but to respond out of the truth about who we are. Does that make sense? So I'll give you a few minutes to, to do this. And then I'm going to go to my next one. So you'll see this slide in a minute, but I'm going to keep talking while you guys are looking at these words. So when I'm in my peace cycle, I know that I'm loved, I'm accepted, and I'm adequate. I moved a lot around a lot when I was young, and so I was always the new kid. So belonging and acceptance is a big thing for me. Didn't realize that until I was an adult, you know. <laughs> but it is. So when I'm in my pain cycle, that's why I feel disconnected from people. But in my peace cycle, I know that I'm, that I'm accepted, that I'm connected. And then the actions for me... And can we go to the next slide so you can see this? I can let go and relax. Like nothing is that big of a deal. I can be humble and I can stay connected. So in that scenario where I talked about with my husband, once I realized what I was feeling, what I was thinking, I was able to go, you know what, it doesn't matter. So what if I'm late? You know what? So what if I don't show up because something happened today? None of it dictates who I am. It's really not a big deal. And see, it makes sense why that would change the way I responded and how I acted, right? So when I'm in my peace cycle, and no matter what is happening, no matter what conflicts I'm in, I know that I'm loved, accepted, and adequate. Then I can let go, relax, be humble. How do you think people respond to me? Loving, accepting. Caring, opening up, right? So then that just creates that cycle where I'm like, oh, yes, I am loved, accepted, and adequate. It changes things, right? So how do we get to, oh, I want you guys to share. Go ahead and share with the person next to you because this is the hopeful part. So take a few minutes. I'm only going to give you five because <laughs> TikTok, right? <laughs> So share, share your, your, your peace and your, um, what, your, what your words are, your truths, and then how you respond, how would you choose to respond? Make sure you do the truths, because that's the most important part.
Okay, I'm going to give you a minute or two more. Good. Okay, hopefully you all had enough time to share with each other. If not, there's lots of other times that we'll be able to talk. <clears throat> I think it's really important for us to, to be able to talk through some of these things because it helps cement it in our minds, right? We need to understand that, that we can be different. We can be self-regulated, and this is how it happens. Now. If, if we go to the next slide, these are the four questions that lead to the peace cycle. So this is the most hopeful thing. And let me just say, this is what really, really excites me about this, is that what they found is that if we go through these four steps, these four questions, it's something like 98 times. So it's not quick. It's a lot. But when we go through this process multiple times, the research shows that we literally change the neural pathways in our brains. Right? I mean, that is hugely impactful for us. We change the way we think about things. How do, I mean, that's just amazing to me, right? That we can, and hopeful, like I don't have to stay in that pain. I don't have to keep feeling these yucky feelings that I don't like and I don't want to feel. I can choose to respond differently. Now, I would say like our, our pain cycle is like the five freeway. It is well-worn. <laughs> we, we know how to ride down that road, right? And this, this new way of doing things, your peace cycle, might be like that little windy road coming up to Hume, right? It's not, as, it's not, as, not driven on as much. It's not as well-worn through. But it be, can become the way that we function. We can become self-regulated. And I feel like there's so much hope in that. So hopeful. Um, and when we control our emotions, then we have better overall mental health. Right? We're more able to put off the old self and take on the new. But that also requires us being vulnerable, talking to people about what we feel, sharing what our pain is, um, like I said before, you know, for me, when I was being trained in this material, the leader said, this is where I do this. And I was like, oh, no. But yet, here you all are, and you all know my deepest pain, and oh, well. Right? It just makes us human. It's, it's understanding that we are not alone in this, that we all have this stuff that we have to deal with. And if we can connect to other people, and I, I think I should say, too, I think that God created us for connection. We are made in his image. He is three in one. We are made for, to be connected to others. 
So I think this is also part of that, that Christian walk, that we are connected to people, that people really know us, because that's when we really love people. So I had one friend, I shared something incredibly painful that I was very ashamed of, doesn't, didn't like it, and her response was, well, now I just can love you more. And I was like, wow, that's, that's what God does for us, right? And we get to be Jesus to one another as we just love people more, where we go, I understand who you are more. I understand why you act the way you do. And I can love you in that. So people then end up, instead of us, like oftentimes with vulnerability, we think it's going to repel people if they really knew how I felt, if they really knew what I thought. But actually what it does is it allows people to love us to come in and say, ah, I can love you in that. I can be with you in that. Right? I just know more of who you are. And really, if we think of it, if we took ourselves out of the equation, and if a friend came to you and said, here's where I am, my guess is none of you would be like, that's pretty awful. Right? No, you'd be like, let me love you. It's okay. It doesn't matter. You know, we're good. So we have to allow people to, to see us. So how do we begin to, oh, I wanna, can I get back to the four questions? I really want to make sure you all get this. So how am I feeling or how do I normally feel, if you're not sure? How do I normally respond? You'll probably be able to see that. What is my truth and how do I choose to respond? We go through these four steps and that's where we change things. So how we begin to care for ourselves is connect. We need to be connected to people. So connection is part of our basic needs. Um, it's not always easy, but it's, it's what we're meant to do. We're meant to be connected. So Henry Cloud says, as long as you're alive, your heart and mind and soul will be searching for connection and other, several others. So I think Henry Cloud's idea is that you think of connection like a room, and I really like that because it's a tangible way of, of presenting it. Um, and he says that we are either in one of four places with connection. There are four corners. And I think it's important to understand because it's not just about connection. So corner one is disconnected and lonely. These are the people who can be demanding, high performers, um, People in their lives don't feel cared for. They have people in their lives, but they don't really feel loved or cared for. Um, they may want, let one person in, but even that's going to be a more superficial connection. And they live by the idea that it's lonely at the top, right? So they gotta, you just got to do what you got to do. And if you don't have connections, if people are dispen um, dispensable, then, you know. So that's corner one. Corner two is bad connections. So this is where there's high expectations, perfectionism, unreasonable demands, critical spirit, shame, guilt, put-downs. Connections produce anxiety, fear, shame, bad feelings. So there's connections, but they're not good connections. They're not connections that build us up. Corner three is the false good connection. So this is the corner of addiction. Um, the place where it feels okay, but... It's dealing with those feelings of isolation, being alone, inadequate, unpleasant feelings. So we find connection in maybe dysfunction with other people. Um, 
sex, food, drugs, anything that takes away the pain. So we feel connected, and we only want to hear the good things. This is more where yes people fit in. So someone might have people in their life, but they're just going to tell them what they want to hear. And then corner four is the good relationships, where you bring your whole authentic self, where you're able to think and feel and believe and share that in, in healthy ways. Um, this is where our needs get met. And I will say these corner four relationships can affect us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's not just one person that is going to meet all of these needs. We can't just have one person in our corner because that's dysfunction too, right? Except maybe Jesus. Jesus can be our one person. But even then, he built us for connection. So he can't even be our one person. <clears throat> so we have, to, we have to have people in our corner. And I think it's really important to, to say too that nobody gets to have all of our, all of our vulnerability. So I'm not saying that you just start telling everybody all your stuff. Because that's not safe, right? Because people don't always respond in safe ways. But we're vulnerable with the people who've earned the right to have our vulnerability. Right? And where it's mutual sharing and mutual edifying. Right? And so that's what the corner four relationships are. So as we bring our authentic selves, as we become more like Jesus, our perfect example, we self-regulate, we rest, we feel, and we connect, then we can also become more holy people, more like Jesus. So that's what I have. I don't know if there are questions. We have like three minutes. Hey, hey. Uh, so, yes. It's the false good. Pseudo, yeah, pseudo connections. So it looks good, but it's really not. Because we're not being authentic, we're not being real. We just are putting on our false selves. The mask, yes. Yep. What what? <clears throat> Inauthentic connections. So it could be, I mean it depends on on who you are, but your your bad connection is is where people might be connected to you. So I'm thinking of like, you know, a kid who can never do anything good enough. You know, they, they get a B on their paper and their parents are like, why didn't you get the A? That's a bad connection, right? It's a critical spirit. It doesn't allow us to feel loved, seen, and heard. It's critical. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Any other questions? I have, um, if you want to know good books, I do have um, a list of kind of what my references are, and I can let you know. Here they are. Good stuff. So thank you all. Oh, yes, and if you, if you want to talk to me and have any questions, feel free to come see me. I'll be around.